on radio, streaming live on investtalk.com, and for our podcast subscribers. This is Invest Talk, above average investing for the average investor. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. And now, KPP Financial President, Financial Advisor Steve Peasley. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Welcome to Invest Talk, above average investing for the average investor. We try to bring you useful information and answer any questions you might have, as long as they're financial. Hey guys, this is Peter from Columbus, and thanks for the show. I love it. I just had a quick question about options. So I've been trading options for about the last few months, and it's been going well for me. But I was just curious. I understand the concept of it pretty well, but as far as the time to expiration and things like that, and then the, the possibility of profit, does the length of time itself actually impact it? Um, now I understand that there's you know the expiration and, and strikes and all that stuff, but let's say I were to make a call, I were to buy an option for a week or an option for 45 days with the same strike price. Would that impact the potential profit that I could make outside of just the time to expiration or how does that formula kind of work? Hopefully I can get this answered. Really appreciate it. Thanks guys. Love the show. Great question. And the fact that you asked me that question makes me worried that you're actually trading options because you should know this is the basics of options. So when you're buying an option, you likely want to go farther out, meaning, you know, yes, your payoff could be higher or will be higher if you buy a shorter dated option, say a week or a month out, uh, because the time value that you're, uh, that you're paying for is very small relative to longer dated options, maybe two months, three months, six months, maybe even a year out, you're paying a much bigger premium for that option because you're buying a lot of time. And the odds are you're going to need that time. Now, you certainly could get a quick payoff and the stock might move rather quickly on you and you're going to get a big return. That's certainly possible. But when you buy more time, it gives you more time for your bet to eventually pay off. If you buy a week option, year, a month option, right, where it expires relatively quickly, you're up against the clock. You're already on the clock for that to play out. And if it doesn't, you could lose all of your money rather quickly. So I always say, if you're going to buy options, you want to be going further out in the expiration uh, scale. And if you're selling options, whether that's a call or a put, you want to be shorter. You want to get that time value decay to be happening rather quickly. So it depends on which side of the the ledger you're on, whether you're a buyer option or a seller of options, but that's kind of how they work. 888-99-CHART. We're going to talk to Herbert in San Antonio. Hi, Herbert. Hi, Steve. Always good to hear from you. Uh, I have a question regarding a 401k. I have a friend that's 70 years old. He's going to withdraw $10,000 from his 401k. And my question is, is, does he have to include it on his tax return the following year? And if so, is he going to get some of that uh, taxes back on his tax return? Okay. So as soon as you start taking money out of your 401k, regular 401k, not a Roth, regular 401k, which is what most people have, or IRA, the year you take that money out, that amount you take, $10,000 in this case, is added to that year's taxable income. 
The theory is, is you're not working, so your tax rate would be very low. So you're going to add it to Social Security and then that $10,000, and whatever tax rate you are in is what you're going to be taxed for that $10,000. Will he be getting some of those taxes back when he includes it on his tax return? Depends on his taxes. Does he have a write-off still with his mortgage, or is that paid off? Does he? I'm uh, not really sure. Yeah. I'm not really sure, but that that does help a lot. Thank you so much, yeah. Steve. Okay, thanks for the question. Yeah, so whenever you start taking money out of your IRA or your 401k or 403b or 457 in retirement, that money ha- the, the amount you take that year, the amount you take out has to be added to your income. And these days, you're required to take money out at age 72 and a half, or is it 72? Not sure. The year you turn 72. Okay, but we'll, I'm not sure about that. Talk to your accountant. Okay. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278, and you can get through right now. Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey, guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call InvestTalk. 888-99-CHART. Listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hey guys, Suzanne from Michigan. I've been meaning to call and ask your thoughts about the SP index fund and whether it's preferable to buy an equal weighted fund versus the typical market cap weighted. I wonder if, especially now with the tech or growth slowing and with many of us having indexed S&P funds, should we perhaps shift some portion or perhaps add an equal weighted fund to our diversified portfolios? I look forward to hearing your thoughts and analysis on the podcast. As always, thank you and Happy New Year. All right. Looking at our, appreciate the the Happy New Year, looking at the S&P equal weight ETF? And the answer is yes, you definitely should be looking at the equal weight over the over over the the market cap weight, right? The S&P itself is market cap weighted. Meaning the larger the company is, the bigger percentage of the portfolio or the, the, the index it is. And what that means is there's a lot more room for downside for the large companies. There's less volatility because you're weighted in those larger cap names, but there's also the potential for 
more downside. And long-term, mid-caps, small-caps, they tend to do better than large-caps over the long-term. They have more room to grow on the upside. And so if you're in a market-cap-weighted index, those smaller-cap names, which may some of them may grow dramatically over time, they can double and triple and quadruple quite easy. And if you're a market cap, you're going to have very low, market cap weighted, you're going to have a very low exposure there. Equal weighted, you're going to have the same weighting for the largest company and the smallest company in the S&P. So basically, every you have 500 stocks. Every stock in the equal weighted ETF or index is going to be about 0.2%, whether it's large or small. And so in these times, especially, I do think adding an equal weight ETF is much better than a market cap weighted ETF. Great question. And thanks for the call. Let's keep moving and pivot back to an InvestTalk voice bank question that came in earlier. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve or Justin. This is Brad from New Jersey. Thank you for all that you guys do. I listen to your show every day to and from work. I had two questions. If someone were considering joining KPP Financial and having you guys manage their money, what exactly happens? Does all the stocks that we have in our portfolio now, do you sell them and put what you guys currently have based on your choices? Just trying to figure out more about that. And the second question is about the KPP Financial Premium Newsletter. I was wondering if you guys had maybe an old sample somewhere, maybe on the website that we could take a look at just to kind of see how it works and what it's all about. Again, thank you for all that you guys do. Love the podcast. Take care. Well, sure, those are good questions. If On the newsletter, if you want to see a copy of an old one or the most recent one, uh, just send me an email. We will send you a copy of the most recent newsletter we sent out. Well, I don't mind sharing those. So give you an idea what it looks like. As far as the first question, when someone comes aboard, our custodian that we use is TD Ameritrade. So if you are at some other custodian than that, we'd have to open up a new account, help you open up an account. We would send you the paperwork and open up the new account, then transfer your old account to the new account. Okay? Uh, and then when you have positions that come over in that new account, we have we happen to call them orphans. Uh, we call them orphans because, you know, maybe we don't love them, maybe we do, but we will take care of them until we think it's time for them to leave the nest. In other words, if there are positions that we like that you own, we will hold on to them for a period of time. But the object is to get you into the same position we have for ourselves, for all our clients in the particular program that you're in, because we want your performance to be exactly as my performance. So the, we're eventually going to get you on board with our stocks. Hopefully, you you own some of our uh that we already own, but yeah, not necessarily. So yeah, we will take we will sell those stocks if none of them are the ones that we already own, but we won't do it all immediately. Okay. Now, and also, you know, there's been cases where clients says, "I really don't want to sell this stock or that stock. I just want to hold it in my portfolio." And we will do that on a case-by-case situation. And we just won't make that part of our managed part of the account that we're holding for you. In other words, we can exclude it from management. In other words, you just leave it there and leave it. Okay? 
Here are the directions for reaching Steve this afternoon with your question. Just call 888-99-CHART, C-H-A-R-T. Have a question about how best to get into the market? Or maybe you're feeling unsure about your current investments. That's what this is all about. This is Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. You can get a hold of us right now. We're going to go to Maria in San Francisco. Hi, Maria. Oh, hi, Steve. Thank you for taking my call. Well, you making it makes the show. <laughs> no, you really have a wonderful show. Okay, question about your international fund. Yes. I always wanted to buy some uh, international ETF. Okay. Um, I always could not get in because, okay, for example, I'm looking at Indian, I'm looking at Mexico, I'm looking at Australia, okay? Okay. Um, those funds, you see price moving up and move down. Okay, sometimes you could bought at the resistance or, you know, you could sell at the, um, no, you bought at the... Uh, Support. Uh, right, the floor, and then you, you sell at resistance. Correct. But you just don't know what people are selling or buying for. For America, we can see our, I mean, we can hear our news, we can see what is the economy going on. But for international, especially for uh, individual investors, how how can you track all the news? It's very difficult, Marie. You hit you hit it right on the head as far as the difficulty. Right, there is no um, price target. There are some like a ten largest holding. Just say India, okay? You could see the top uh, one or two stocks. There could be some kind of a price target. But other than that, that's just like a 5%. So how can you figure out when to get in and when to get out? And they are very volatile. They are very volatile. So what do I do? Okay. Uh, very, very good question, Maria. Very good question. Because they can get very volatile. And if you buy a foreign stock and you want to sell it, you got the foreign exchange rate to deal with. In other words, you may have gone up in their, in, their money, in their stock exchange. That stock may have gone up. But by the time you transferred into your money here, our dollar may have gone down or gone up. It changes the whole. Con- so it gets even more complex than Maria was talking about. Now, are you familiar with ADRs, Maria? Uh, yes. Okay. There are American depository receipts that, that are stocks that are foreign but traded here in the United States. And I won't go into all the details of how that works. But... What it means, if a stock that is foreign that wants to trade on our exchanges here, they have to comply with the general accounting principles that we, our own country, our own companies have to comply with. And so what that does is it gives you more transparency to see what they're doing, okay? They still can lie and cheat and everything else, though. But so can our own companies. As we know, they do that, too. (laughs) So, unfortunately. But um, American depository receipts is a good way to invest in foreign companies because then you can start putting on the same kind of growth and GP and earnings yield requirements you have. But, again, you're right, Maria. When you're investing in a foreign country, how do you know if that country is not doing something crazy like Russia when they took over that oil company, Yukos? something crazy that would never happen in our country. You never know. So there's an inherent built-in risk investing in foreign companies, and that's why it's a good idea to find a good mutual fund who does it for a living. You know, you can buy it. If you you want 10% foreign exposure in your portfolio, it's almost better to buy a mutual fund that specializes. Great, great. You know, because then you allegedly, quote-unquote, are hired an expert to invest in those foreign companies. Very good idea.
You're listening to Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. We want to answer your questions. Our listener line number is always ready for you. 888 chart Beginning our experience, we're here to answer your questions. Listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though, 888 99 Chart, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888 99 Chart is our number, 888 992 4278. Hi, Steve or Justin. I love your show and appreciate your advice. I'm curious about what account would be best to trade on there. I have a Roth IRA and individual trading account. Which one would be better for making trades and investments? Thank you. Well, if you're trading a lot and you're creating short-term capital gains, then a tax-deferred account like a Roth IRA would be the best. If you're a buy and holder and you're typically not selling very often, then those type of investments are better in maybe taxable accounts because you're not creating taxable events very often. So depends on how much you trade. For most traders, a tax-deferred account is best. Let's pivot to the InvestTalk Voice Bank again for this question that came in earlier, 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Randy calling from Minnesota. And a lot of times you talk about it's at strong support or at this number it's at strong support. How do you know it's at strong support? I will hang up and listen. Great podcast. Bye for now. Okay, that's a very good question. We look at, okay, this is called charting. We're looking at a chart. Uh, we're, the, when you buy a company and you want to own a company, you look at the fundamentals. It's earnings, it's sales, it's profit margins, it's management team, it's brand, you know, all those things. When you're looking at, that's called fundamental analysis. You're looking at the fundamentals. Their technical analysis is nothing more than looking at a chart to see what the actual public is doing, buying and selling that stock. Okay, so we start with a one-year daily chart. So it's a chart of daily movement of a stock over a one-year period. That's a basic chart. And you know stocks go up, they go down, they go up, they go down. Support is where the stock goes up, comes down to a point, then bounces up, Maybe comes down to close to that point or a little below that point, bounces back up, and you're looking at this year of the activity and you're saying, hey, those two times it bounced down to that price, it bounced off of it at both times. That's support. That's where people start to come in. They think it's cheap or they think that's a good price to buy, whatever. People come in and start to buy at that price. The more times it bounces off of that kind of number, the better, meaning it's strong support. That's what that is. Resistance is the same thing going up. It can't seem to get above this or bounces off. Can't get above that price. Done it two or three times, four times. That happens too. Now, remember, reading a chart is not science. It's an art. Don't think of it as, okay, that it's always true. It's not. It's just generally true. Not always true. Invest Talk is always made better when our listeners contribute their questions. Hi, guys. Lee from North Carolina here. I had a question about Stitch Fix, ticker SFIX. So tell your friends and family members they can interact in real time 
with Steve Peasley and Justin Klein during the Invest Talk live stream program between 4 and 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Hey, Justin and Steve, this is Phil in Washington, D.C. Love you guys. I've learned so much. Or they can leave their questions anytime, 24 7, in the Invest Talk voice bank. Look forward to hearing your answer on the podcast. Thanks. Remember, for live or recorded questions, the number never changes. 888 chart Yes, hi, Steve and Justin. My name is Serafi. I'm calling from Ohio. I've been a listener for the past six months, and you guys have been instrumental in my quest to become financially literate. My question is about dollar cost averaging for a portfolio of individual stocks. I have already maxed out all my retirement accounts consisting of mutual funds. In June, I opened a taxable account with 30K and I've been adding 2K a month. I am somewhat okay with the fundamental analysis. So I now have 16 well-diversified, stable growth and value stocks that are not in any of my mutual funds. My plan is to hold 18 to 20 for long-term. Almost all of my positions have appreciated. So when I put more, my average cost basis goes up. Would that be okay if I just keep on working in positions that have at least a 25% safety margin based on discounted cash flow or target price? Not that I'm good at it, but are there simple technical indicators to guide me? Thank you very much, and I'll wait for your answer on the podcast. Well, I like that you're looking at discounted cash flow models and trying to value uh, these names. Now, you said you have about 16 names. I like that you they don't overlap with a lot of the holdings within your mutual funds, so giving you broader diversification. Uh, I would try to do, expand that out to somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 to 30 names. It's about what you would need to get good diversification. And I would focus more on the underlying business. If you have a long-term time horizon, certainly valuation is going to be important. But what's going to be even more important is investing in good, consistent companies that have good cash flows, hopefully maybe some dividends in a lot of them, uh, and monitor their businesses more than anything. Uh, and certainly, if you're dollar cost averaging over time, uh, finding the ones that uh, maybe are down a bit, uh, but their long-term business prospects remain intact, you know, you want to add to those at that time. And that's probably the strategy that, that I, would, I would have. That's similar to how we manage money for our clients as well. So uh, it, it's really going to be more about monitoring those 25, 30 different businesses and making sure that your long-term thesis about that business remains intact. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278, and you can get through right now. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. 
So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hi, I had a 401k from a previous employer that was automatically rolled over into an IRA. It's just in cash currently. And uh, I'd like to move that over to a Schwab or a TD Ameritrade or something and just get a little experience day trading with that money if possible. I've been playing with a little of my personal money in Robinhood accounts. I don't play with my 401k at all. I don't touch that at all. I max out the contribution. Is it possible to day trade with money that was formerly in a 401k? And am I going about this the right way to get experience? I'd love to hear your answer on the show. Thank you. Well, there are sometimes rules around day trading in an IRA, especially if they're under $25,000. So typically look into that with what the uh, the broker's rules are on it. I definitely would move your money away from Robinhood. I don't think anybody should have uh, their money in Robinhood anymore, especially with Schwab, TD, E-Trade, Fidelity, all having commission-free trading. So I would try to consolidate your IRA and brokerage account into to one firm. We use TD Ameritrade, but uh, they're all... Uh, pretty good. Definitely make sure they're all CIPIC insured and big. So definitely go uh, uh, with that route. Uh, Now, day trading, 99 out of 100 people who day trade fail. So your odds of of failure are very, very high. Uh, If you're going to day trade, uh, start with paper trading. Start making you know real live decisions. Don't look backwards and say, well, what if I did this? Say, okay, I'm going to to say, I'm going to pull the trigger right now. If I did that, my fill would probably be this. Put that down in a spreadsheet and then start paper trading. Okay, I would, pro- I would get out here. Put that down. And be honest with yourself as well. Be very, very honest with yourself. And there are actually even uh, paper trading programs out there that you can use. So paper trade first. Find a strategy that you find work works week after week, and frankly, month after month. I would, day, I would paper trade for six months before you do any type of day trading. The Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes. I have a question for you about Amazon. So your questions keep coming. Question about P.E. ratios. And that's okay because Steve Peasley and Justin Klein specialize in unbiased guidance. If I'm looking at a dividend company, I'm looking for consistency of earnings and dividends. Your standard daily chart typically goes back one year. Steve and Justin are fearless. So don't forget to call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. No Clue says, I recently started listening and I am hooked. 
I listen to every podcast. 11.5% of my portfolio is small cap growth and 9% is mid cap growth. Thinking about splitting each in half and putting into small cap value and mid cap value respectively, I've missed the rotation to value boat or is or have I missed the rotation to value boat or is this a good strategy? I plan to retire in three years and my risk level is changing from moderate aggressive to moderate well. Yes, you should definitely be rotating the majority, vast majority of your growth positions into the value side of the market. And you've seen that today, for example. So even uh, at the top of the show, I talked about the large cap growth versus large cap value. But even today, mid cap value, sorry, mid cap growth down 2.48% mid cap growth, or sorry, mid cap value uh, up 0.31%. So nearly a 3% difference there. Small cap growth down 2.88%. Small cap value down, but only 0.67%. So a little over 2% difference uh, in performance there. And this is not a one-off. It's not a coincidence. This is in an environment where the Fed is tightening policy. So I would definitely continue to rotate from growth to value. Uh, this will be persistent. It's not going to be a one-day thing. Let's grab another voice bank question that came in earlier from Atlanta. Hi, this is Ari in Atlanta. I'm actually calling because I wanted to include my daughter. She's 15 in investments, but I don't know how I should get her started. So just wanted to put a question out. Thanks. Bye. Well, the first thing I would say is if she has a job, I would try to open up a Roth IRA for her if she can. She does not. She doesn't have to actually fund it. But if she can just have a little bit of a job, earned income, whatever that is, you can put that money into a Roth IRA account. Okay, So I would think about that if you can. And having a little part-time job, not a bad thing. I know it might be a little harder than usual right now, but I think that would be good for her. Next, if that's not the case, she doesn't have a job, then just I would open a brokerage account uh, for benefit of maybe her name. Now... Steve and I differ a little bit on new investors. I always think, especially in today's world, now with no commissions, it's easy to put a few hundred dollars in, get them used to investing. And I like to invest in individual companies. Steve would probably say indexing, but I like the individual company route because it allows young investors to start to understand how companies work, invest in the companies that they like, Right? Maybe they're on TikTok a lot and they want to buy uh, Oracle. Right? Uh, maybe they're on Instagram and they want to buy Facebook. Right? Maybe they have an iPhone, they love Apple, they want to buy Apple. And it gets them a little more involved in, in connection to stock market and then the real life things that are happening. So that's the way I would get them started and start to learn, but with a very small dollar amount. Let's go to Bob and El Sobrante. How you doing, Bob? Hey, I've heard you talk before about on balance, but I don't exactly know what it is or how to use it as information. Is it a short-term or a long-term statistic? Well, it's not based on length of time. Let's start off with that. Okay. You know what volume is, right? Sure. And for everybody else, volume is just a number of traded shares in a day on a particular stock. And you'll hear the stock market say, one billion shares traded today. Well, that's the volume of the whole market. But you also look at volume of an individual stock. The volume of shares traded on a daily basis is something that a lot of people look at. Well, is it up volume or down volume? Is it volume that's good or bad? Are people selling the stock or are they coming into that? Now, obviously, if you relate the price movement of that stock 
to the volume. If there's a lot of volume, the stock collapsed by half. You know that was a very bad day. Most days, the stock is moving sideways or up and down slowly, and you don't know if there's more up or down volume. You just know there's volume. But when you look at on balance volume, that's looking at volume a little bit more closely. And what that does, for every uptick in the price of the stock, let's say the 1,000 shares are bought with a penny higher than they were from someone bought it from just the last sale. It's a penny higher. That would be up volume of 1,000 shares because it's on an uptick. The next volume could be a down one penny, 500 shares. Okay, down a down tick. But the on-balance volume on those two trades would be up tick 500 shares. So on-balance volume adds the number of shares on up ticks and subtracts the number of shares on down ticks and draws a line. So if the stock price is moving up and you see the on-balance line moving up, that means there's more buyers buying more stocks on up ticks. If the price of the stock is moving up and the on-balance volume is moving down, that means that there's more volume on the down ticks, but there's a higher price movement on the upside. Well, all it does, Bob, is trying to tell you where the pressure is coming from. Is it coming from the sellers or from the buyers? Like you were saying, even if the stock price is going down, sometimes the on-balance volume can be positive, and that's what confuses me. That is very true. And in fact, you're looking for that divergence where the stock price goes one way and the on-balance volume goes the other way because that's when it tells you the most. So let's say the stock price is going down, but the on-balance volume is going up. That's telling you more buyers are coming in as that stock price goes down. They're buying a lot more shares, meaning that stock is going to stop going down and turn around and go up because there's a lot of interest in the stock on the down ticks. If the on-balance volume is going down and the stock price is moving up, uh -huh. watch out. There's more sellers as the price goes higher. People are taking profits. Well, that's great. Thanks for that explanation. I hope that's clear, Bob. That helps. Thank you. Do you have questions about FDIC security, mortgages, money market funds, losses to your retirement plans? Give us a call today, 888-99-CHART. Hi, it's Steve or Justin. My name's Eric, and I've been listening to your show for about a year now, and I've really learned a lot. I thank you for that. And I was wondering if sometime on the program you could talk a little bit about SPACs or special purpose acquisition companies. I guess specifically what I'm wondering is, how do these compare to like a traditional IPO as far as are they more risky, less risky? And I know you've talked in the past about not investing in an IPO until it's been out for at least six months for the insiders to kind of get out and prices to regulate or whatever. Do you have any kind of general guidelines for companies that become public through the SPAC? Thank you, and I'll listen for your answer. Great question. Now, SPAC stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Company. What it does is it raises capital, maybe a few billion dollars, and the idea is to go out and buy another company, buy an actual company. The SPAC doesn't have initially any company in it. It's just a, an asset uh, with cash. And then they use that cash to go make an acquisition. And oftentimes the price of that SPAC will pop dramatically. And this all has to do, it's financial engineering. They're limiting the supply of shares that are out there, right? Because the owners of that SPAC, owners of the shares, 
typically are closely held. So when the supply of shares are very, very low and they go make an acquisition and he wants to buy into that acquisition, they're chasing after a very select few number of shares and that really explodes the value of that SPAC. So, you know, if you want to play that, that game, that, that financial engineering game that a SPAC does, then that's, that, that's fine. Um, but it's also very risky. They might make a poor acquisition. They may not keep as many shares held to the best as they had hoped. Uh, there are a lot of risks to it. Uh, but it's definitely not an investment vehicle. It's a speculative vehicle only. 888-99-CHARTERS, our number, 888-992-4278. Let's go to Cliff in La Mesa. How you doing, Cliff? Hey, good, Steve. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Appreciate you calling. Could you answer a question on dividends for sure. me? On the X day, which is like, what, two or three weeks before they actually pay the dividend? Yes. If you own the stock on the X day, say you own it the day before, and the day after that day you sell it, would you still get the dividend? Yes. As long as you own the stock on the X dividend date, and that's the date they announce, all people who own the stock today will get a 15-cent dividend when we pay it a few weeks from now. So that's the day you need to own it. You can sell it the very next day, not a problem. And you might be even be able to sell it that day, but I wouldn't take that chance. Uh, that sounds good. Thanks for the call. Appreciate hey, it. Hey, thanks. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. So everybody, whenever you hear, well, the ex-dividend day, they call it ex-dividend day, E-X-dividend day. That's the day you have to own the stock to get the announced dividend they're going to announce on that day. Now, mind you, the stock goes down the exact amount of the dividend they're going to pay. If the stock, if the dividend is going to be 50 cents, the stock price that day will go down 50 cents. Now, it might be disguised because trading volume, you know, trading up and down, up and down, up and down might not see it, but it actually does go down the exact amount of the dividend announced on that ex-dividend date. Hey, Steve and Justin. This is Brandon from Northern California. I had a question on Roth IRA accounts. I'm sure you've answered it before, but I do not recall. So when you're doing it, I know it's a tax-deferred account until you retire and withdraw it because it's already, used, already tax money that's put in. I'm just curious about the dividend earnings. Are they different than the regular growth earnings, or what's the deal on that? I appreciate the show. I'll listen for your answer on the podcast. Thanks. So the dividends in a Roth and a regular IRA, the dividends are in the Roth and the regular IRA. So whatever paid in dividends is still there. You can reinvest them wherever you want inside the Roth IRA. When you withdraw that money in a, uh, in a regular IRA, that money is taxed as income for the, the year that you withdraw it. For dividends in a Roth IRA, it's treated just like anything else. You're never taxed on that money. Never taxed as long as it stays forever. It's the Roth. You don't have to pay taxes on Roth. Okay? So there's no taxes on the dividends. Let's go to Pete in Corda, Madeira. Hi, Pete. Thanks for calling. I have a question, and it has to do with valuation. Uh-huh. A lot of times when you give a value of a stock, you'll say, okay, you do this, do that, and you end up with $50. Yes. And then you'll say, well, it's trading for $32. Right. Or it's trading for 
$36. And usually it's not just below valuation which you give it, but it's well below the value that you give it. Sometimes, yes. Why is that? Well, we have numbers that we evaluate. We use different factors to come to a value on every stock that we bought. So it's not always the value is higher. No. Mm -mm. When you say it's worth $50, Uh does that mean that there's a chance that it's going to actually sell for that price? What we're saying when we say this is a value, we're looking out at the future to about 12 months down the road, and we say sometime in the next 12 months, it probably is going to sell for this number. When you say that, that means when it's below, that's what you want. That's exactly right. So it's selling for 30 bucks, but then a lot of times I've heard you say, get out. That's right. Remember, there's two basic ways to look at stocks. There's the fundamental way, and fundamentals are earnings, earnings growth, earnings per share, return on equity, book value, those kinds of numbers, earnings yield and growth to PE. Those are the fundamentals of a company, and based on the fundamentals, we determine or derive at a value of the company. Then the other way to look at stocks is technical, looking at charts. Right. So when I look at a chart, I see that maybe the value is 50 bucks, but I don't think it's going to make it right now. Right now, I think it's overbought or oversold. It looks like it's hitting support or resist. That's chart reading. So when I say I would probably sell it, I'm reading a chart that says this stock is starting to look like it's heading down. So lock in your profits and buy it back some other time. Could head up later, but it's now at this point, because of just the way the stock is doing, That's right. it's a loser. At least for a short-term period, it looks like it's going to be a loser. But valuation, that's a fundamental, right? That's a fundamental, correct. That's fundamental. Fundamental. I got you. Thank you. Thanks, Pete. Now, if you have a question about a stock or an IRA, college savings plan, well, maybe buying a house, mortgages, reverse mortgages, we're here for you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99 Chart, 888 99 C H A R T, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Good morning. My name's Anne. I just have a dumb question. What do you think about cryptocurrency? Is it a good time to buy, or is it going to start a downtrend? If it's a good time to buy, which one to buy? Is it Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solano, or GPTC, Coinbase, Right Blockchain, or anything? Thank you so much. Appreciate. Well, this is a question I've been getting a lot over the past few years, and uh, I'll just echo my sentiments over the past couple of weeks: is that uh, no, this is not a good time uh, to buy. I actually think we are in the the bust phase of Kind of this this tech bubble 2.0 crypto bubble um i think we're, we're we're in the bus phase you see that with many of the names the pelotons of the world the zooms of the world down docusign just really getting crushed now a lot of them are still up uh if you go back a few years uh, but that probably just means there's more downside to come because what happens is when you start to get momentum to the downside you get a lot of weak hands. That means selling begets selling. Remember, most of these assets, whether that's crypto, whether that's uh, story, tech stocks, they are being bought simply because price is moving up. The vast majority of people don't understand the businesses, don't understand the value 
And when I say value, what I mean, when I say that, I mean, what are you getting out of it? What, what is the use case for these things? And while there are use cases being developed for crypto and, and blockchain, it, the, the value in the space, meaning the total aggregate value of all these coins, far exceeds any actual use case value that people are getting today or will likely get in the future, in the medium-term future. Now, long-term, just like with the tech space, two decades for a lot of these tech companies from 2000 to get back to where they were trading back then. And so the valuations were and still are in most cases so out of whack that there's still plenty of downside to come. And so that's my general thesis right now is that the liquidity that's being pulled out of the market by the Fed, which granted, they're not doing it in a dramatic fashion. It's very minor so far. But you can see the outsized impact it's had on these high value, high multiple assets. I think there's plenty of downside. I think you're going to see the teens in 2020 for Bitcoin. And we're going into uh, the bust phase. And that's why I would definitely not be buying right now. Keep an eye on it. It still has long-term potential, but all those weak hands talking about hodling, they're not going to hodl on the way down. So that's what you're seeing now, and be selling will be get selling. Hi, this is Al from Reston, Virginia. An inverted yield curve is supposed to indicate an upcoming recession. We all know that a recession is coming if we're not already in one. So my question is, why isn't the yield curve inverted? Is that because possibly uh, due to all of the intervention by the Fed? Or exactly what is it telling us? Uh, is it possible that because it's not inverted, it's telling us that the recession is going to be short? Really be interested in any thoughts you may have on that. Thank you. Well, he's correct that typically an inverted yield curve does signal a, a recession. Now, most of pe most people look at the two 10-year spread, and I believe it was flat, maybe briefly negative uh, late last year. And but with rates so low, it's hard for it to really get inverted. And certain other parts of the yield curve were inverted. Uh, and now it's starting to widen out. But what you have to understand is that's a process of going into recession. Go back to 2007. We inverted in 2006, and it started to actually widen out in 2007, going into the recession in 2008, uh, where we, you know, the yield curve was steepening out uh, in 2007 and, and, and 8 and 9. So the inverted yield curve happened couple of years before the recession same with uh in 2000 or sorry 90 98 right 98 it inverted and we didn't go to recession until 2000 same with 1990 inverted in 89 and we didn't go to recession until i believe it was 90 91 so often that inverted yield curve is indicator of a future recession a year two years out and when it steepens out that just means you're going straight into that recession so uh, make sure you understand the lead time there with inverted yield curve. Before we go, you can see more about today's topic. Go to investtalk.com. If you want to contact me directly, easy. Leave a message on the machine or go to investtalk.com. I'm money manager Steve Peasley, and I want to thank you for listening. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, 
It's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 